Hello. I've been gone for two weeks again. Da 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 da. Here comes the whore. Hello, whore. <laughs> Listen, I <laughs> took again a two-week pause. I just didn't feel very well, you know, um, mentally, not physically, but physically also. It all started when I had roasted pepperonis, <laughs> pepperonis, however you call it, um, and then firstly my stomach hurt a lot <laughs> on Sunday, I believe it was, and then I had to process it on the other end, <laughs> and you know how that feels, so um, yeah, um, it was painful, <laughs> and then I felt really, really bad mentally, and I didn't want to record an episode. I actually recorded this episode, like, maybe 70% of the of this episode on Monday, and not last Monday, the Monday before, and I got to 70%, and I smashed my laptop, <laughs> I closed it, because I felt so angry for no reason, and that whole week I was feeling really, really angry, and I believe that has something to do with my anxiety, and social anxiety and everything. So, um, yeah, I gave up for that. And then the next weekend was in my hometown was was held like um, how should I say it? it was it is annual thing that happens every September and it's called the fall in Smatheros or Smatheros fall or autumn. And it's actually called Smaderovska Yes, and on, on Serbian, in Serbian, it's uh, kind of like a, oh my god, how I say it, do you say manifestation in English also? Like for the, not like you're manifesting something, but it's like a manifestation, like a parade, and like a fair, not sure, <laughs> but it's like, and it was really nice, but um, there was maybe like uh, 30% of things that happen normally because because of the COVID we didn't have fair, we didn't have roller coasters or anything it was just like, like uh, ethanol shows they were selling grapes and wine and because this fair is held like to worship wine because our region is famous for wine especially white wine it's called Smederevka, or how you would translate it is Smederevo's girl, and that's a really famous white wine in this region. So yeah, I, I mean, I like <laughs> normal, normal thing when it happens, but I'm content with this COVID edition. Hopefully next year it will be back to normal. So that happened on the whole weekend, like Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and I was like, fuck this, I am not gonna record an episode. <laughs> so I took another two weeks of pausing, and now I should be recording probably the episode 16 or maybe even 17, and I'm recording the episode 10. And also, I want to mention that my last episode about Andrea Yates got astronomical numbers of downloads. <laughs> it went viral, kinda. Because I shared the episode on one of my true crime groups on Facebook, and people are were really, really passionate about that story. Hi, if you are new here, I blab a lot. <laughs> like, honestly, I speak so much before the episode starts, so I was thinking maybe 
to put timestamps in the description of the episode so you know where when the story starts. But okay, and today actually, <clears throat> when we are speaking about the celebrations and fairs, today in the whole country of Serbia, we celebrate like it's a new um, holiday. We celebrate the union of Serbian people and the day of the flag. And so for that, the whole town, the whole town and the whole country is decorated with flags and flags are everywhere, basically. Down my street, there are flags in front of my haunted house. There are flags like in every street, there are millions of flags. I'll share some pictures maybe on my Instagram. So recording this on September 15th on my, my troth, you can hear it. My throat is also fucked up. So I'm going up and down with my blabbing. So let's just start with today's episode because, oh my God. Um, today we are doing something different. And I want, wanted to do uh, something different from the episode 10. And I probably will do it uh, for the episode 20, 30 and 40 maybe if we ever get to the episode 40, maybe in like six years, how I'm doing, <laughs> how I'm doing my pauses and everything. So yeah, today we're doing something different. It has murder, but the whole story is not centered about the murder. The whole story is centered uh, about the main character of this story. And today's story has everything you want, basically, from a true crime story. It has Hollywood, it has actors, actresses, icons, it has love affairs, sex, it has um, murder, and, and, and like everything. Hey there! Are you enjoying the episode so far? Well, you can listen completely ad-free episode over on Patreon. You will also get bonus episodes that are not related to true crime, such as the one about my 121-year-old haunted house, thank you messages, special mentions in the episodes, digitally signed episode scripts, access to the full list of ideas for future episodes, and access to the close friends list on Instagram for everyday behind-the-scenes content. And all of that and more for only $5 a month. Visit patreon.com slash freakedoutpodcast and subscribe. Again, visit patreon.com slash freakedoutpodcast and subscribe to exclusive content for only $5 a month. Thank you! And today we are talking about the life story of Lana Turner. Do you know who Lana Turner is? I hope so. Lana Turner was an American actress, very, very famous actress. And basically I'm not going to speak about everything she did like the every film every movie because this episode would last six hours probably um we're gonna just jump here and there and mention like a uh, juicy details from her life but also i want to mention that her like career is extremely successful she had hundreds of films and she was one of the most famous and like just most loved actresses of all time in uh, in US. So Lana Turner was an American actress and over the course of her ne- nearly 50-year career she achieved fame as both as a pinup model and a film actress and as well as for her highly publicized personal life. In the mid-40s, 1940s, she was one of the highest paid actresses in the United States 
and one of the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's or MGM's biggest stars, with her films earning more than $50 million for the studio during her 18-year contract with them. Lana is frequently cited as a popular culture icon of Hollywood glamour and a screen legend of classical Hollywood cinema. So now I have these notes in three places. I have it on my on the um, Google Docs and I have on my laptop, on my desktop, and I have it in my notebook for the first time. So how is this gonna go? I don't know. Last time I got so angry <laughs> that I smashed my laptop. So Jesus hold the wheel and hold it tight because shit is going to hit the fan. Lana Turner was born in Idaho on February 8th, 1921 and she actually, her name was not Lana Turner, her name was Julia Jean Turner. She lived with her family in Idaho until she was five and then they moved to San Francisco because they were struggling financially. And soon after that, um, her parents divorced, soon after they moved. On December 14th, 1930, her father won some money at the traveling craps game. He basically stuffed his winnings in his left sock so he doesn't lose it or um, someone does not rob him. And he, uh, he had it home. He put his money in his left, left sock and shoe and he had it home. Sadly, he was later found bludgeoned to death on a street with his left shoe and sock missing, as well as all of the money, of course, and the killer was never found. And Lana later said, after she got famous, she recalled this, um, this accident, and she said that his death affected her very much because, she was the, uh, because he was the sweetest man she knew. She had a lot of interests in dancing and performing, and she even had a little dance act as a child. Lana sometimes lived with family, uh, family friends or acquaintances so that her mother could save money because they didn't have a lot of money. They also frequently moved for a time they are living in Sacramento and throughout the San Francisco Bay. And following her father's death, Lana lived for a period of time in Modesto with a family of, of friends who basically physically abused her and quote-unquote treated her like a servant and her mother uh, worked 80 hours per week as a beautician to support herself and her daughter and Lana recalled sometimes quote-unquote living on crackers and milk for half a week. So they were struggling. Lana loved church. She um, wanted to become a nun. However, uh, life had other plans and she was on a good path to become one but Love life uh, had other plans for her, since her mother developed respiratory problems and her doctors advised to move to a drier climate. So they moved to Los Angeles, the land of stars, in 1936. And at the age of 15, this is another play of destiny, as I would call it, um, at the age of 15 she skipped a typing class at her high school and went to a local mall to buy a Coke. Not that Coke. People, please. There, her life changed forever because she was spotted by William R. Wilkerson, Wilkerson, yes, Wilkerson, publisher of The Hollywood Reporter. He was attracted by her beauty and physics. Let's remember that she was a fucking child, but okay. And he asked her if she was interested in appearing in films 
To which she responded, quote unquote, I'll have to ask my mother first. And um, I don't know why did I, I did it in British, but okay. Um, with her mother's permission, her mother gave permission to that. And she was referred by Wilkerson to the talent agent Zeppo Marx. I hope it's Zeppo, it's not Zippo. Um, because this is probably, is obviously not American. And in December 1936, Marx introduced Turner to film director Mervyn Leroy, who signed her to a $50 weekly contract with Warner Bros. She soon became a protege of Leroy, and he suggested that she take the stage name Lana Turner, a name she would come to legally adopt several years later. So she legally became Lana Turner. Did you know that Lana Del Rey is called Elizabeth Grant? Why do every woman in Hollywood once becomes Lana? Why? <laughs> and also, did you know that my legal name is not Fabian Adams? I mentioned it on Twitter a few days ago. <laughs> it's actually not even close to Fabian Adams. My name is Mladen. <laughs> I, um started representing myself as Fabian Adams um, back in 2018, I believe. Few reasons. First of all, people don't know how to pronounce my name. People pronounce it... So my name is Mladen, and people pronounce it as Malden, you know, as Carl Malden, the actor. And I hate when people pronounce it as Malden. Or when I went to Greece on a vacation, they, pro they um, pronounce it as Madden. So I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I don't want to be called that. And my favorite um, singer is Lara Fabian, if you heard ever of her. And um, I just took her last name as my first name. And then Adams came like... I don't know. I don't know where I get, got Adams. Probably Adams Family, because I love that that movie, but it's not A-D-D-A-M's. It's just Adams. My voice, my voice is cracking already. So yeah, my um, so I'm representing myself on the internet from 2018 as Fabian Adams, and you can call me Fabian Adams. I don't care. You don't have to feel obligated to remember my real name because I don't want you to call me by my real name. So yeah, if you, I'm everywhere on social media signed as a Fabian Adams. Only on Facebook, if you, if you try to search me on Facebook, you will not be able to find me. So, she became Lana. Now we have to transport to my notebook. And this is where shit will hit the fan, because I cannot read my handwriting even in Serbian. She made her first appearance in the movie called They Won't Forget. And she had like, her role was only two seconds long. She was portraying the lady who passed a piece of paper from one person to another, but people noticed her. And Wilkerson later said that her performance is worthy of more than a passing note. She later left Warner Bros and moved to MGM for $100 a week. And after she moved to Warner Bro uh, to MGM, actually, she got many more roles. The more notable ones are The Adventures of Marco Polo, The Sea Wolf, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and so on. She married in Las Vegas to an Artie Shaw, 
And this is the, the sentence you're gonna hear a lot through this episode because this lady had so many marriages. Don't get me wrong, you can marry how many times you want, but it's funny in this period of time when like dating was frowned upon and you had to be married probably to the person who you're, who are you dating. So this lady had a lot of marriages. <laughs> so she married to Artie Shaw in Las Vegas and they she briefly knew him their marriage lasted four months and after they broke up she discovered that she was pregnant but she aborted and later she claimed that Artie Shaw treated her like a like untutored blonde savage and took no points to conceal his opinion I love how people express their, themselves back in the days like this this should be in the books. This sentence only. Took no points to conceal his opinion. Amazing. She starred in a lot of movies, musical, the theatrical acts. After the movie Somewhere I'll Find You, uh, it was publicly speculated about the affair with Clark Gable. And that happened after his wife died in a plane crash. So it was kind of like controversial. And later, when World War II started, she turned to be a pinup girl because movies were like not a thing during the war. <laughs> so she became a pinup girl, and her face was painted on the noses of the airplanes. So, yep. And that's how she got her nickname Tempest Turner. She was selling her kisses up to $50,000 to old people. Or basically to anyone who paid $50,000 for a kiss from a Tempest Turner. She toured US like various places. She visited hospitals with injured soldiers, she went on events, she, she was everywhere. And in 1942 she met her second husband, Steve Crane. He was an ex-actor and now he was a restorator. After a week of dating, only a week of dating, they went again to Las Vegas and they married again. But their marriage, again, was not lasting a long time. First of all, their marriage got cancelled because, basically, basically cancelled, because they discovered that he was still married to his previous wife. He actually never divorced. And they kinda split up after that. And once again, after divorce, quote-unquote, she discovered that she was pregnant. So she remarried Steve few months later when he legally divorced his last, his uh, previous woman, uh, wife. Now doctors advised her to have an abortion because she had RH negative blood group and that could cause fatal anemia in child and in her. And however, she decided to give birth and had managed to carry a full pregnancy on and her daughter Cheryl was born in 1943 but because of her condition that resulted in Cheryl having several medical conditions including anemia and autoimmune diseases Lana dis divorced Steve again and for for good in 1944 because of his gambling addiction. She continued to have very successful movies and in 1946 she said that she was tired of boring and minor roles 
and they got her big roles. It was that easy. <laughs> and her most successful movie, probably of all time, and her major success was The Postman Always Rings Twice, where probably a lot of us remember her from. Uh, while filming Green Dolphin Street, Lana began an affair with Tyrant Power. Power? Po power? I guess. And she fell... My, my uh, handwriting says power, so I don't know. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. And she fell in love with him so hard, she often said that he was the love of her life. And during this time, she also had an affair with Frank Sinatra and Howard Hughes. Hughes? Hi? How do you pronounce this? It's H-U-G-I-J-S. Yes. If it's Van Vanessa Hudgens, that's probably... Hudgens. I don't know. Never mind. Another um, amazing success movies were Cast Timberlane and Homecoming, where she again acted with Clark Gable, and after this movie they were uh, pronounced and titled like the quote-unquote, the team that generates steam. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god, the team that generates steam. <coughs> I, I choked on my coffee. Oh my god, okay. She became MGM's most popular star ever, and one of the 10 most paid uh, women in US with the annual earnings of $226,000. No, $226,000. I went too far. I often mistake hundreds and thousands. <laughs> so when I say a number, I'm always in my head, is it a thousand? Like, how do you say a year like 2021? <laughs> Jesus Christ. In April of 1947, uh, the movie Three Musketeers were filming, and there she met Bob Topping Jr., a millionaire, and they married in April 1948. As I said, dating was probably frowned upon, and she had to marry everyone. Or maybe she even wants to marry. I don't know. It's not my, my um, call to do to judge her, but um, it's kind of weird. And we probably should remember that this is 1957, for 1947, so things were different back then. And after the release of the movie, she discovered that she was pregnant once again, and she wanted to carry on that, uh, that child and went, sadly, into premature labor, and she gave birth to a stillborn baby. Now, the movie Mr. Imperium was the first flop and she said that that <laughs> the script of that movie was stupid and that's the reason why the movie um, failed and she was slowly facing bankruptcy at the time so and even with all of that money she was earning she was facing bankruptcy and when we combine all of this stuff like her daughter who had medical problems because of her blood her stillborn baby, her abortion, her many um, marriages and divorces, and bankruptcy on top of that, and flop of a movie, she kind of fell into a chronic depression, and she sadly um, went to a phase where she wanted to kill herself, and she tried to commit a suicide in September of 1951. She um, slit her wrists in a hotel bathroom, but she was saved by her business manager, Benton Cole, 
who knocked on the door and saved her. Uh, on filming of the Mary uh, Widow, is that Widow? Yep, the Mary Widow, that was a musical. She begins affair with Fernando Lamas, Jamas, I don't know. It's probably Lamas. They broke up after he physically assaulted her. Then she had a major, another major success in movie land uh, with the f- movie uh, The Bad and the Beautiful, where she um, starred with Kirk Douglas. And then she filmed two movies in Europe. Finally, she separated from MGM after, I believe it was eight, uh, 12 years of being their huge star, or maybe even 18 years, I'm not sure. Um, I can do math, and I don't want to do math right now. If you want to know, grab a calculator. In 1953, she married again to Lex Barkers, and she was again pregnant, and again, sadly, she had a stillborn baby. And in 1957, they divorced because her daughter Cheryl, who was a grown-up by this time, I believe, uh, she alleged that he raped her constantly and and also molested her like daily and Lana forced him out of the house on a gunpoint. Good girl. And then Johnny Stompanato enters her life. So let's just see, see who was Johnny Stompanato. Johnny Stompanato was born in Italian-American family in Woodstock and he joined US Marines, he lived in Asia and was married to a Turkish woman. He also converted to Islam so he could marry the Turkish lady, and they had a child, but he later left his wife and son and moved to California, to Los Angeles, California. And there he had another marriage and again he divorced. He owned a gift shop in Los Angeles and he there sold pottery and rare paintings, and he had connections with the underground, and thanks to those connections to the underground, he became a bodyguard for gangster Mikey Cohen. In 1948, Frank Sinatra told Mikey Cohen to tell Stompanato basically to stay away from Ava Gardner, who was his lover, I believe, but Mikey told him to go back to his wife and children because he never got between his men and their broads. What is a broad? Is that like a Whore? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know, people. What is a broad? Definition. A woman. Just a woman. And the, like, the example sentence is, I get drunk, follow the pretty broads, and make a fool of myself. Okay, I didn't know that. It's just a language barrier. Please forgive me for saying whore. <laughs> Moving on. He was arrested on a charge of vargancy, and he met uh, Lana in 1957, while she was filming the movie The Lady Takes a Flyer. And how he did it is amazing. Um, He collected numbers of various movie stars, and also he had Lana's number, and he basically started stalking her. He was sending her flowers, he was calling her daily, and she eventually quote-unquote fell for it, and they began dating. As you would say in Serbian, um, I'm not going to to um, translate that for you, but that's a saying over here. Don't say it anywhere. Um, you never heard it from me. And when Lana was 
shooting a movie with Sean Connery, who was uh, portraying the 007, James Bond, in London, he burst into a, onto a set with a gun and threatened to kill Connery. Now you see, they had a really bumpy um, relationship, not here in Connery, but here in Lana, and um, so um, he was really strongly jealous of her, and he was jealous of every man who ever came across her, who talked to her, who looked at her, and now you can imagine how he felt in his sick brain when she was filming a movie, a romantic movie, romantic scenes with Sean Connery, who was basically a bodybuilder, and in that time, and everyone is so amazed by him, I find him really not attractive, um, but okay. Um, so he burst to us in a, on a set with a gun and threatened to kill him, uh, but uh, Connery smashed uh, the gun out of his hand and twisted, twisted his arm to his back, and Johnny, after that, was reported to the police and quietly deported from the UK to US. And after that, uh, Sean Connery got threats of mobsters. He was afraid for his life, so he went into hiding for a few months. And after the, that incident, Lana and Johnny broke up for a, for, a, for a few days, basically, because they got together very quickly and spent a vacation in Mexico. And when they returned to Los Angeles, Lana kind of didn't want to be seen with him again in public because she was kind of like embarrassed, probably. So she went to the Oscar award ceremony alone without telling uh, Johnny about that. And he got pissed. She went to observe her nomination for Peyton's Place and present the award for Best Supporting Actor. So a few days later, 80 days after the, uh, the Oscar ceremony, at approximately 8 p.m., Stompanato arrived at Lana's rented home at 7.30 North Benford Drive in Beverly Hills, California, which she had just begun leasing a, leasing a week prior. Do you say leasing or leasing? Never mind. Hey there! Are you enjoying the episode so far? Well, you can listen completely ad-free episode over on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash freakedoutpodcast and subscribe. Again, visit patreon.com slash freakedoutpodcast and subscribe to exclusive content for only $5 a month. Thank you! The two began arguing heatedly in the bedroom, during which Stompanado threatened to kill her, her daughter and her mother, as well as making gangster threats, quote-unquote, that involved breaking her bones and slashing her face with a straight razor. And her daughter Cheryl, Cheryl, who briefly entered the room during the argument, was urged by Lana to leave. In the midst of the, of the argument, Turner broke off her relationship with Stompanato for good and asked him to leave the house. So Cheryl, who was in a kitchen, she grabbed a knife because she was scared that Johnny would molest her, and when he got out of the room, he saw her and started going violently towards her. He lifted his arm, probably to hit her, this is told by Cheryl. He lifted his arm, and that's when Cheryl stabbed him in the stomach, and she later said that he ran into the knife that she was holding in her hand for protection because he was furious and didn't see it, and he only said, what have you done, quote-unquote, and fell. Cheryl called her father, and Lana called the doctor, who came shortly and gave him an adrenaline shot, but Johnny Stompanato bled to death since the cut went to, into his liver and cut main artery, resulting in massive internal bleeding. 
and he was dead. So Cheryl, as I said, called her father, and when her father came, that's the gambling father, how was his name, I don't know, doesn't matter, he called the police. So they didn't call the police until he came, and when police came, Lana begged the officer to let her say that she did it to save her daughter from prison. But however, Cheryl did confess she stabbed him in self-defense, and later, after, like, a, you'll see the circus of, of trials and everything, but she eventually got released because they concluded that she did it in self-defense. She was released with an order to visit therapists therapist once a week. My mouth is so dry. Is there anything to drink here? No. Now, this case gained a huge media coverage. Over 100 reporters and journalists attended the um, 1958 coroner's inquest, describing by attendees as a near-riotous. Lana almost collapsed during the trial. She said that she thought Cheryl had punched him, so that goes against the theory that uh, Cheryl told that Johnny actually ran on the knife, ran to the knife, because she apparently stabbed him as Lana saw that she thought that she um, had punched him, and she said that she never saw the blade in her hand. And Stampanato's brother, Carmen, who attended the, the uh, inquest, alleged to afterwards that he felt Turner failed to tell the whole truth, and that the law enforcement had made up their mind right from the start that Johnny deserved to die. And uh, Stompanato's ex-wife, Sarah Ibrahim, that's the Turkish lady, I'm so sorry to referring to her to, as a Turkish lady, but just to clear, because he had two wives, this is, her, this is his first wife, she filed a wrongful death suit of $750,000 that's equivalent to $6,700,000 in 2020. $7,000. $6,700,000 in 2020. In damages against both Turner, Cheryl, and Stephen Crane, Stephen, that's his name, <laughs> the name of the father, on behalf of herself and then seven-year-old Johnny Jr., her son with Tom Panato. In the suit, it was implied that Turner was responsible for stabbing Tom Panato, actually, and that her daughter had taken the blame. The suit alleged that Stephen arrived at Turner's residence prior to Stompanato's death and failed to summon proper medical assistance. In the intervening years, Stompanato's homicide has been subjected to an oft-repeated uh, conspiracy theory that Turner in fact killed him and that Crane has, had taken culpability for her mother claiming self-defense. The theory was like fired up by Eric Root, who was a hairdresser of Lana, and he claimed in a 1996 memoir that uh, she confessed to him that she had stabbed Stompanato during their domestic struggle. According to Ruth, uh, Lana made the confession to him years later at the Plaza Hotel after the two saw a television program referring the case. And he claims that Turner allegedly blurred out, quote-unquote, I killed the son of a bitch and I would do it again. He also stated, uh, he also stated that Turner urged him to reveal to the public this, uh, this thing and that she should die before him in order to clear her daughter's name. Her, her ex-husband, uh, Stephen Crane, however, denied this claim, responding in 1999, 
Quote, this idea that Root had in his book is so far-fetched. You know, everybody has something they want to sell. I guess it was the only way he could get his book published. So additionally, Metro-Goldingmeyer or MGM stylist Sidney Gilroff noted in his 1996 memoir that on the morning of Stompanato's murder, he had run into Turner leaving the Pioneer hardware store in Beverly Hills. During a brief exchange, Gilroff alleged that when he asked Turner what she was doing at the hardware store, she responded, quote-unquote, we needed a new knife. <laughs> and Gilroff further claimed that he visited Turner the following day, and then she collapsed in his arms, sobbing, and said, quote-unquote, did you ever dream this could happen, and with the very knife I bought yesterday? <laughs> so Johnny was stabbed, allegedly, with the knife that she bought at day before, allegedly. <clears throat> this is what Sidney Gilroff says. And in her own autobiography, Lana Conceal had gone shopping for kitchen utensils for her new home because, she, you know, she started leasing that, leasing that home a week prior, and that he had in fact been stabbed with the one of the carving knives that he purchased. And in 2012, 48 Hours presented a special profiling this case, which featured conversations between several historians, Crane and John Ibrahim, Stampanato's son, who is, who is now a grown-up, and Ibrahim contested that Turner's testimony was all lies, and that she could have got an Academy Award, to which Crane responded, she was not acting, she was terrified, I know my mother. Oh, Crane, uh, that uh, is uh, a daughter. Cheryl. I copied this from Wikipedia, so they referred their, uh, to everyone by her by they, their surnames. So this is the Cheryl, and Ibrahim started in this show, and uh, he basically said that Lana should get an Oscar for acting in this case, and Cheryl said that she was not acting, she was terrified, I know my mother, she was fighting for her child. And then the jury came back with a verdict of ju justifiable homicide. I have come up against this question hundreds of times. Didn't your mother do it? Is she really the one I, that, that did it? I killed John Stampanato, and I didn't do it to cover up for my mother. What mother would do this to her child? To make her child live through her life knowing that she's killed somebody and have to live with it. What would you do? Not my mother. Not the woman I know." End quote. So basically she was released. Everyone thought that her mother did it, but we don't know. And after this case happened, Lana's career skyrocketed. <laughs> like, we are sick people. But basically, she skyrocketed. She had a lot of movies, like Portrait in Black. Let me just see what should I mention. Uh, Imitation of Life with Douglas Sirk, Who's Got an Action, a comedy, and uh, many more movies and musicals, and Madame X, and The Survivors, and British horror film Persecution, and a lot of movies. And she basically was on the top of the world and on top of money, apparently, because she had gained a lot of money. But sadly, 
She was a regular drinker and cigarette smoker for most of her life. And uh, from uh, when the, she was in contract with AGM, photographs that show her holding cigarettes had to be airbrushed at the studio's request in an effort to conceal her smoking because she was apparently smoking all the time. And in her early 60s, Alana stopped drinking to preserve her health, but she was unable to quit smoking. And she was diagnosed with throat cancer in spring of 1992. In a press release, she stated that the cancer had been detected early and had not damaged her vocal cords or larynx. She underwent exploratory, uh, exploratory surgery to remove the cancer, but it has metastasized to her jaw and lungs. And after undergoing radiation therapy, Turner announced that she was in full remission in early 1993. But the cancer was found to have returned in July 1994. And in September 1994, Turner made her final public appearance at the San Sebastian International Film Festival in Spain to accept a Lifetime Achievement Award. And she was confined to a wheelchair for much of the event. She died nine months later at the age of 74 on June 29, 1995, in complications from the cancer, at her home in Century, uh, Century City, Los Angeles, with her daughter by her side. According to Cheryl, Turner's death was a total shock and that she had appeared to be in better health and had recently completed seven weeks of radiation therapy and Lana's remains were um, cremated and scattered in Oahu, Hawaii. And Cheryl and her life pa partner Joyce Leroy, whom Turner said she accepted as a second daughter, quote-unquote, inherited some of Turner's personal effects of $50,000 in Turner's will. Her estate was estimated in court documents to be worthy $1.7 million. Turner left the majority of her estate to her maid, Carmen Lopez Cruz, actually, who had been her companion for 45 years and caregiver during her final illness. Cheryl challenged the will and Cruz said that the majority of estate was consumed by probate costs, costs, legal free fees and medical expenses. And that's the end of the story about the life, the success, the affairs, the murder. <laughs> the murder involvement of Lana Turner, a Hollywood legend. Uh, my mouth is dry as fuck. So yeah, did you like the story? I thought I would do something different for the episode 10, and hopefully I will get to episode 20, 30, 40 to do more special episodes like this. If you thought it was boring, then sorry, <laughs> we'll be back next week probably any Sunday, one of the Sundays in the future, I'll be back and that's it. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Freaked Out Podcast or on Twitter at Freaked Podcast or you can follow me everywhere uh, at Fabian Adams but instead of a, a B it's a 6 and you can also support me on Patreon and the podcast on Patreon and earn access to a lot of fun stuff. You know, you heard that ad but... Uh, uh, to remember you, the address is patreon.com slash freakedoutpodcast, and that's it. I will see you in the next episode. Stay safe, thank you so much for listening, and bye.